to the January uh, 5th edition of Global Dialogue, the International Affairs Speakers Program of the Tennessee World Affairs Council. I'm Patrick Ryan, President of the Council. Uh, this evening, we welcome uh, Malcolm Nance to our program. Uh, Malcolm uh, was with us at Belmont University for a podcast, I guess about oh, 13 months ago it was, Malcolm, you were in Nashville for Politicon. So welcome back uh, virtually to Nashville. Well, there you go. I've learned to use Zoom, so <laughs> I'm glad to be here. And I'm exceptionally glad to be here at this time uh, after the tragedy that struck your city, and hopefully I can give some enlightenment. Well, we appreciate uh, your expertise in, in helping us uh, put together some of the pieces of what, what's happening here, not, uh, not just in Nashville, but around the country, the domestic terror threat and uh, the threat abroad. And we'll also uh, get into... Uh, uh, your specialty, uh, the cyber uh, uh, effects of uh, what the Russians have been doing over recent years and, and what uh, the uh, office of the DNI today said was probably a Russian attack, this latest uh, large attack against uh, the United States. But first, let me uh, uh, give a little background uh, for the folks, Malcolm, on, on your uh, extraordinary uh, journey uh, from uh, enlisting in the U.S. Navy uh, rising to the ranks of the senior chief petty officer, you were a cryptologic technician, which um, is uh, Navy speak for a, a guy who uh, uh, listens to communications and uh, provides intelligence on what uh, what the bad guys are doing. You were an Arabic speaking uh, intelligence specialist. Uh, you're qualified in submarines. You and I share that uh, that <laughs> honor. Um, so tip of the hat uh, to you for that. And uh, you've also been uh, a combat veteran uh, dealing in uh, survival, evasion, resistance, and escape uh, training. Uh, you're a, a historian and author, 35 years participating in field and combat intelligence activity, including uh, both covert and clandestine anti and counterterrorism support to national intelligence agencies. And uh, for the folks who want to Google Malcolm Nance and look at the images, you'll see some pictures of him out in in uh, the desert with uh, all sorts of uh, uh, weaponry that uh, uh, maybe we'll get into some of your, your, uh, your stories there, but uh, you've, you've had quite the uh, colorful career uh, in support of US national interests around the world, uh, particularly in the Middle East and your work with uh, counterintelligence. Uh, Malcolm has uh, written uh, a number of books. When you go to Amazon, you'll find uh, The Plot to Betray America, which is now out in paperback. Uh, and preceding that were the plot to destroy America, the plot to hack America, and talking about uh, terrorism, uh, this is the guy who wrote the book, literally, he wrote the terrorist recognition handbook. So we're gonna get into uh, some of those things. Uh, currently, Malcolm is uh, executive director of the Terror Asymmetrics Project on Strategy, Tactics, and Radical Ideologies uh, based in uh, Hudson, New York. So today we're gonna be talking about uh, the, the Nashville Christmas bombing and try to uh, pull, pull apart some of the uh, pieces of that and make some sense of it. Uh, domestic terror threats, international terror threats, and uh, comments on, uh, let's call it the big hack. Um, Malcolm, uh, I should have mentioned you're also a regular uh, commentator on cable news. Uh, and that's where I, I recently uh, caught up with uh, your comments on the Nashville bombing uh, on the MSNBC. Uh, why, why don't you uh, give us uh, your impressions of what uh, what we know about uh, the bombing, uh, the bomber, the motivation, uh, and so forth. 
Yeah. Well, this is a conundrum, and 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 I, as I said, I I hope to bring enlightenment to to your forum, but this is one of those incidents where we sort of lack light to 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 give uh, uh, some definitive answers. But the things that we all know, uh, all of you who are from that city have lived, and that is is that there was a, a seemingly terrorist suicide car bomber which who delivered a very large uh, explosive weapon of mass destruction down into the middle of your city. Uh, it has a few, how can I put it? It has a few characteristics which are very unique in terrorism. And, uh, and as you know, I'm, I'm the counterterrorism and intelligence analyst for MSNBC. So I was immediately reporting along with uh, our Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco and Firearms bomb guy, Jim Cavanaugh, uh, on what this was, what the motivation of this was. I have an experience with this. I've, I've survived several car bombs. I've been within the blast radius of three car bombs, uh, <laughs> enough to where shrapnel and debris blew through us and, um, and have been in the you know, uh, proximity of uh, easily a dozen more in Iraq, uh, well, Iraq and, and, and Lebanon. So to me, I mean, I understood what the weapon system was that was being deployed. Uh, and again, this one has some unique characteristics to it. First, the target itself, which was the city of Nashville. We have a saying in counterterrorism is the, the tactics chosen are, de, are target dependent, or as we like to say, the tactic is the target is the tactics, right? So depending on what you're going to hit will determine how you're going to hit it, what kind of weapon system you're going to use, how big a weapon system you require for that. Clearly this was not something that the, uh, that the suicide bomber, which it turns out uh, in the end it was, uh, even though it was an American, um, the person did choose to sit with the weapon system and blow himself up, uh, which made him a human guided weapon. Uh, and that's what we call suicide bombers. He was a kamikaze. He went with the weapon system to ensure that the weapon itself would detonate. Um, this individual, uh, Anthony Warner from Nashville, <laughs> uh, one of your neighbors, uh, apparently had been working on this weapon as far back as uh, 13 to 16 months when the police received a report from one of his ex-relationships uh, that he was building a weapon of some type or bombs inside his RV, which is unique because we don't normally get an RV itself, the weapon delivery system, right? The transport for the bomb. You usually don't get that as the principal place of construction or what we call the bomb factory, right? My first thought was the guy used his basement for all the electronic components. The bomb factory was in his house and that the vehicle itself was the payload, right? Was the, the system which would transport the bomb and blow up. Well, based on her testimony, he was building it inside the weapon itself, which indicates one of two things. One, it's a really big weapon and it had to be built in situ so that uh, all of the explosive train components were there and for him would work properly although I'm sure some work benching of the electronics and other things which required a flat table were probably being done inside the house. 
Um, uh, the, the morning of the delivery of this device uh, also gave us some very, very unique uh, aspects to the attack that I'm sure you're all familiar with, but I'm gonna give you my perspective on why they were different. Um, and it, the interesting thing is a lot of people who, who discuss these things, um, you know, FBI agents, even a lot of bomb guys who were out there on television, they're, 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 they're well-versed in explosive devices and certainly explosive devices here in the United States. Um, but they can't really give you that comparative analysis of the bombs, say, you know, Sri Lanka versus Baghdad versus Northern right. Syria. And, you know, unfortunately, I can give you that perspective. And, you know, this also required a, a deep study in the history of bombing in the United States. And this is where uh, Jim Cavanaugh, who, again, who is our BATF uh, explosives guy, came in very handy. The, the weapon that he used was a suicide vehicle bomb, right? It was a suicide vehicle-borne improvised explosive device, or what we call an SVBED, right? S-V-B-I-E-D. And uh, in this particular instance, it came with characteristics that were just not seen in the United States for decades. The first was that he drove the weapon there at about 1.30 in the morning. Then he sat in the vehicle, quite possibly making sure his explosive train was solid or getting, you know, communing with whoever his God was. But he sat inside that vehicle and sometime around uh, 5.30 in the morning, he, he instituted a, um, a recording, which was apparently either tied to the bomb train, to the explosive train, or was detonated by hand by him on a countdown clock. And this led to a loudspeaker, which played music. Now we understand it's, you know, uh, the, the British song Downtown and a warning, a, a, a computerized voice warning, counting down from uh, to the explosion from like 30 minutes down to the explosion. Also, there were shots fired. Uh, we don't know whether those came from a real firearm or whether it came from like a pneumatic weapon or, you know, we've seen those air guns made to sound like weapons or whether it was actually just a recording played very loud from that, that vehicle itself. But that brought the police there. Once the police came, they saw that something strange was going on and heeded the warning and evacuated as many people as possible from the area which immediately indicated to me that the bomber was American because that is not how international uh, jihadist terrorists um, operate. Yeah, and, and you know some people say, well, it was Nashville, Tennessee. Terrorists don't care about the location of the attack. Um, uh, generally, when they're using a real weapon, of ex an explosive weapon of mass destruction, which is what we call these huge car bombs, uh, they care about killing individuals and making a point and having the most spectacular event happen at the time that they will get the most eyes. So, a, a, Malcolm, a let, let me let me uh, let me mention sure. to you that that uh, despite the pandemic, uh, Nashville, Tennessee, Lower Broadway, uh, on a, a Saturday night or you know Friday night, any night uh, anymore, uh, is just packed with people. Um, I believe it. Yeah. So, you, you 
live right it's there. A a it's, it's, it's a target-rich environment, and, and he definitely uh, could have uh, exposed many more people to, uh, to the, the explosion. Sure. And how many hens parties are down there in one evening? So, you know, I mean, the place is normally packed. So yeah. he chose a very specific time that would, in my estimation, uh, have enough police on scene at the watch change at like around six o'clock in the morning, fire department the same, um, where people would be a little more lucid at waking up uh, at five in the morning, and then detonated his payload at around 6.30 in the morning. And if you haven't seen the videos, there's really good body camera footage from one of the officers who was carrying out the evacuations there. Uh, you know, and people, they just really didn't understand what was happening. Uh, but that's because the bomber gave these warnings, which again, immediately I thought, well, this is an American bomber. This person wants to do damage. He doesn't want to kill a lot of people but he still knew people could and would die from his explosive device based on the size of the payload. Um, you know, he also gave himself such a short window that no one would be shooting, you know, no one would be coming on board and trying to disarm this device. Uh, also from reports, I've seen the, the, the body camera footage and heard the testimony of the policeman. They didn't see anyone in the driver's window, which means he was back in the payload. And uh, I don't know if you've seen the movie uh, Deadpool 2, uh, the, the, the comic, uh, you know, sort of uh, joking, uh, acerbic uh, superhero. He actually lays on like 100 pounds of, TN, uh, of, of C4 and TNT as a form of suicide. Uh, since he's an immortal character, he can't die. And, you know, immediately that thought came to mind that this bomber, uh, not just was in the vehicle. This bomber was with the device, which means he wanted 100% to make sure he wasn't blown clear of this device, that he was personally vaporized with it. And that is absolutely for sure, because I've been around a lot of bombings. And I can tell you, uh, I had a friend who was actually at uh, one of the London bombings on 7-7, uh, you know, um, back in 2007, uh, 2008, and uh, he had a suicide bomber on a uh, double-decker bus. And while talking to me, he ran outside and I said, I need you to look at the top of the bus. Is the top of the bus peeled back? He goes, yes. I said, do you see a torso with, with no arms and no head? And he goes, yes. And I said, are the legs still there? He goes, yes. I said, it is a man with a chest device that went off and blew upwards and kept his torso and legs there, not his arms. There are ways to determine what explosive force you're dealing with in a suicide bombing of this measure. This guy, it took days to determine there was a human there. Yeah, Malcolm, have you heard any reports of um, the size of uh, the explosive or uh, if not in absolute terms, but in relative terms to other bombings that we may have come to understand? No, and they're keeping a really tight lid on the type of explosive payload that he used. Uh, there's all sorts of rumors. You know, my first thought was ammonium nitrate and fuel oil, uh, which is the most common explosive type that there is out there. 
Uh, well, that's not true. The most common explosive type in the United States is black powder uh, and propane. Uh, those are really small, low order explosives. A high order explosive like, uh, you know, C4 or some sort of TNT or industrial, you know, you guys live in Tennessee. I, I went to uh, I went to bodyguard school out in Western Tennessee and, you know, Memphis. And I can tell you right now, everyone's got a license to blow up stumps on their land. So <laughs> there's a lot of explosives out there which have completely legal purposes all yeah. the time, you know. So this particular character, we don't know yet whether he was using a very uh, high order explosive. And you can't really tell other than the fact that it, you know, it did create a small crater. But most importantly, this guy knew where he was putting the device. He parked it across, let's assume the, the, the rumor that he was out to attack the AT&T building and that he, um, that, uh, you know, he attacked, sorry, I've got the, the Georgia election above my head. So it's jumped into my eyesight for a second. A lot of competition tonight. The hockey yeah. championship so is on too. <laughs> that he, 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 you know, he used something like this, you know, he parked that vehicle across the street. And if he really wanted to damage the AT&T building, he was using the shorter buildings to tamp his explosive and thrust all the explosive power into the AT&T building, as opposed to people who were saying, well, why didn't he just park next to it? Well, then the explosive force could have just hit the wall and rode up the side of the building and not damaged it as much as he wanted to. So this guy yeah. did know what he was doing. Uh, and he also knew that these buildings he was parked next to would all collapse, which they've, they pretty much have done on, on the facade level. And, you know, one of them, the one that was closest, both floors have collapsed inwards. Yeah. So uh, Malcolm, uh, we're, we're going to work in some questions here as we go along. Angela Wick well, uh, from, from the Peoria World Affairs Council, who's joined us, she asked, uh, what would be the reason for law enforcement to keep uh, the details so close to their chest? Well, the principal reason is because you don't know if there are co-conspirators to this attack. When Timothy McVeigh carried out the Oklahoma City bombing, it took a little while, but they figured out that there were two actually three other co-conspirators in there, Terry Nichols, mm -hmm. and then two other people who actually helped him test these bomb, test his bomb and his ammonium nitrate and fuel oil mix. So that would be uh, the principal reason why you would want to keep a close hold on that and the explosive payload itself. Although I'm, I'm quite surprised that, that that hasn't gotten out. But, you know, you know, there are rumors everywhere. Don't believe anything that's not being given by the FBI or, or, or local officials at this point. Let's, let's talk a little bit about motivation. Uh, that, that seems to be a nebulous uh, uh, situation in this investigation as well, at least as, as far as what's been let out to the public. Right. Yeah. The motivation of this particular individual is still an unknown. Although the reason that the FBI was going around and interviewing people early on about the 5G conspiracy um, was because of the nature of the, what they believed was the target. The vehicle was parked across from the AT&T building. It had emergency communications for three different states. Also, it had cellular towers on top. So if you're not familiar with the 5G conspiracy theory, it's one of the many outlying conspiracy theories that has now folded itself into the QAnon 
conspiracy theory. So starting right off the top, QAnon is a conspiracy theory that Donald Trump is a national savior that is going and leading a secret underground war uh, assisted by Robert Mueller, Robert F. Kennedy Jr., who my last check was dead, uh, and was a military intelligence officer with a Q security clearance, which is interesting because that's Department of Energy. Uh, the, you know, so not regular top secret clearance, not special access program clearance, no, a weird, obscure, you know, Department of Energy top, Gen Sir top secret, which for those of us yeah. who have held higher than top secret, that ain't particularly high. But he's convinced the world that there is this secret war going on led by Donald Trump to stop a global cabal of Jews, elites from Hollywood, the news media, all Democratic leadership from kidnapping and using uh, trafficking and using the blood of children. If this sounds familiar, it is literally the blood libel conspiracy theory that the Nazis hearkened from, from the uh, the protocols of the elders of Zion, that the Jews are running the world and all the international banking networks and are using the blood of young Christian children in secret rituals. This is what QAnon has developed into. 5G conspiracy theory came about when coronavirus started. And as an offshoot of QAnon and anti-vaccine um, conspiracies, they believe, wait for it, that 5G cellular technology, which is just fifth generation cellular streaming of data, actually carries on its ultra high frequency radio waves, the coronavirus. Now, it's an interesting mix that, you know, coronavirus and suddenly high frequency radio signals, which are all around us, right? Uh, right. Somehow the biology of moving coronavirus on a radio wave is something that's escaped all science, except the geniuses who believe in the 5G conspiracy theory. Now, now is there any, uh, any evidence that, uh, that Warner was, was among those? The only evidence that's out there now is because the FBI very quickly started asking all of his immediate associates if they had heard him discuss the 5G conspiracy theory. They obviously okay. derived that from the target. And as I said, right, the target indicate, the, tact the tactics are determined by the target, right? right? Giant car bomb, guy sitting on top of it playing like he's in Deadpool 2, exploding it in the middle of the, you know, in the, in the early morning, across from an AT&T building, knocks out massive quantities of communications, could only be really, and he kills himself doing it, you know, most likely something associated with the QAnon 5G conspiracy theory. Now, before you say, well, that's uniquely crazy. Well, one of the first QAnon attacks in the United States took place uh, a year ago when a man drove an armored vehicle, an old bank truck with a bomb and weapons onto Hoover Dam last year and was going to blow it up, or so he said, unless they exposed the global cabal of people that were kidnapping children and drinking their blood. So 
this is getting out of control to the point where the FBI is called the QAnon and all the other subordinate uh, conspiracy theory threats, the number one national security threat in the United States, because it's being born not just by the crazies who believe it, it's being born by neo-Nazis, right-wing extremists, and extremists of all, you know, of the far right political bets, bent. Well, let's, uh, we've, we've, we've uh, really colored in the uh, nature of, of the bombing and all. Let's, let's talk a little bit about the classification of this. Uh, there's, there's been some uh, criticism that the FBI has not labeled it a terrorism event. And yeah. uh, Lynn Grassmeyer, who uh, is a friend of the World Affairs Council, asked the, the question, and I, I was going to raise it as well, uh, you know, why do we need a clear motive or uh, why, why can't we just go on the scope of the attack? Uh, this, you know, the, the uh, weapon of mass destruction, um, uh, fill that in for us as far as whether this should be a terrorism, you know, called terrorism or not. And some people are, are saying that uh, if you're white, you, uh, you're less likely to have an act uh, labeled terrorism or less quickly, et cetera. Um, and this is not just a, uh, a rhetorical uh, question because there are people in those buildings down there whose insurance may not pay out if it's a terrorism event. Right. Interesting. Interestingly enough, you know, I, 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 we, we all try to find some dark humor at times like this. Believe me, I've had some very dark humor in the middle of suicide bombings. Uh, but there, it was just the rhetoric that was coming out of the, uh, out of the, the leadership um, not just in Nashville, but the national leadership that at, at the front of it seemed hell-bent on not using the word terrorism, which is fine. I mean, I understand the motivations related to insurance, but in my world, anyone that brings a weapon of an explosive weapon of mass destruction into the middle of a major American city, all right, and blows it up with the intent to destroy uh, national, you know, regional uh, and uh, in regional infrastructure and the potential to kill hundreds, no matter what their motivation is, and if they're even if they're off their rocker, right? Um, yeah. You know, that is still an act of terrorism. The purpose of terrorism, by literal definition, is an act of violence or political, well, an act of or an act or a threat of violence, political in nature, in which the immediate, uh, the, which intended to influence an audience beyond the immediate victims. Well, the only thing that's missing here is a component of political. If it is 5G conspiracy theory, that is a political act because that conspiracy theory is harnessed to the extreme ultra-right QAnon sure. conspiracy theory, which uh, as we all know, uh, thinks Donald Trump is saving the children and tearing down a global international Jewish liberal cabal from kidnapping, murdering, and drink eating children. So yeah, that is a political motivation. I think the FBI, out of an abundance of caution, uh, may have been influenced by the argument on insurance first. But every resource in counterterrorism in the FBI is on this is on this attack. It is being handled like a terrorist attack by the FBI. Uh, yeah. All the, the national resources, the FBI and BATF's uh, Joint Terrorism Task Forces are all over this bombing. Because oh, if it turns uh, out, it's not. Yeah, I, I, can, uh, I can testify to that. Uh, we're, 
we're at Printer's Alley here, and uh, the, the debris went down the alley when when uh, the bomb went off. We had uh, broken windows in the building, and I walked out uh, later in the day and the next day, and uh, ATF and FBI were were crawling all over Second Avenue and Third uh, Avenue and Church Street. Uh, the ATF, you know, on the aircraft carriers, they do a FOD walk down looking for debris. Right. Um, you know, shoulder to shoulder that they were ATF up and down the streets, looking down on the ground, picking up evidence. So, yeah, this this got uh, major attention. Yeah, they will literally reconstruct that truck. <laughs> I mean, like, you know, when airplanes crash and they put it back together on a frame, they're yeah. going to reconstruct that truck, if only to keep it in Quantico. Right. So that uh, you can learn off of it. And they'll have a computer generated uh, model showing where every little last minutia of blast material flew from yeah. the explosion, which will tell them an enormous amount about, about the bomb itself, including all the material and debris that's on it. So, you know, I actually joked uh, at one point on television that, you know, I, 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 I took uh, another journalist to task. I wasn't taking him to task. I was taking the world to task. When I said, um, you know, they said a uh, significant, and, uh, a significant incident has occurred in, you know, the middle of Nashville, uh, you know, and the New York Times had a, had, a, had a description of the attack where they said a, um, a, quiet, a quiet person, a shattered morning, a city on edge. And Ayman Moedin from MSNBC rewrote that headline. He said... American suicide bomber detonates detonates car bomb in middle of American city, on no yeah, middle I, of city on Christmas morning. I, I saw that, that is tweet, the right? yeah. That's, yeah I saw, that, I saw, I saw that tweet go out. That's accurate, and anything less than that, literally, it's it's like that joke meme from the TV show Family Guy where they have a cop, you know, holding a card with different colors, right? And at the top, it's white pink slightly slightly more red and it says uh a significant incident and then below it if it's tan brown black it says terrorist bombing right it's hard not to embrace that theory on an event like this but i can understand why you know for insurance purposes the mayor doesn't want that you know this the state would have to bear all of that but it was a terrorist suicide terrorist car bombing attack in a major American city. Yeah, and, and Malcolm, you and I, uh, we've been uh, following terrorism for a long time. I was at CENCOM as the terrorism branch chief, and uh, mm -hmm. we, we recognize that this is um, a, a special standalone. So I can imagine the FBI is waiting until they get a little more assurance as to what they're looking at. Yeah, I'm, I'm certain they will. And I think that you never know. They may carve out an exclusion. Uh, they may set, you know, some exception. But yeah. it is what it is. You were hit by a terrorist, and you were lucky. Okay. Well, let's talk uh, about domestic terror. We've, we've got uh, a little more time here. We're a half hour in, and we've got uh, a lot of people who came to, uh, to hear you tonight. And uh, one of the things that we should talk about is the domestic terror threat. And, uh, you know, not, not everybody saw the testimony, but... Uh, I'll remind people that uh, a couple of months ago, FBI Director Ray, uh, in testimony uh, before Congress, said the greatest threat we face in the homeland is the threat posed 
by lone actors radicalized online who look to attack soft targets with easily accessible weapons. And there's a, there's a raft of background material on the FBI website and the uh, Department of Homeland Security website talking about uh, violent extremism, um, the uh, uh, homegrown violent extremist, uh, the uh, domestic violent extremist. There's, uh, you know, you're, you're, that's your profession. So you know the distinctions of all these things, but basically it, it uh, just sounds like there's a bad thing going on out there. Well, what's happening is you're seeing a, a metamorphosis of what, you know, what we call lone wolves uh, in terms of the dominant ideology that places the United States at risk today. Uh, three years ago, four years ago, that would have been the individual uh, self-radicalized jihadist extremists here in the United States. Uh, and, you know, Al-Qaeda, uh, you know, it's more radical offshoot ISIS, uh, other, you know, jihadist extremist organizations, Al-Shabaab and Somalia, some of the Pakistani ones, were motivating individuals to carry out attacks in the United States or provide material support to their terrorist, you know, brethren around the world. That has shifted with the fall of ISIS in Syria, the the Al-Qaeda diaspora moving out through other parts of the world that don't have easy and direct communications to the United States. What's happened though, is we have seen the rise, a dramatic and terrifying rise of the, of the homegrown right-wing extremist. And for people like us, people of our age, we might recall the mid 1980s when virtually every other week there was a movie coming on you know, uh, you know, made for TV movie coming on about the FBI taking down neo-Nazis or, you know, Klansmen who were going to plan a bombing or, an, you know, uh, an assassination of the vice president. One famous movie um, where an FBI agent, a female FBI agent is inserted into a good old boy right wing network that was going to assassinate the vice president. Um, all of these things were the fodder of of of. Of, of these stories because back then that's when the real American militia movement started. The quote unquote patriot militia movement started in the United States. And we had real terrorist groups running around the United States which were relatively low profile. Uh, we had the entire uh, neo-Nazi Christian identity movement which was headquartered out of Idaho in your neck of the woods. Uh, Tennessee, Alabama, Arkansas, there was a terrorist group called the, um, the Shield, the Sword, and the Covenant of the Lord, the CSA. And they actually were creating a network of, of militia, white supremacist terrorist groups uh, that only got exposed with the murder of um, a journalist named Berg out in Colorado, where they shot him with a fully automatic weapon. If they had shot him with a semi-automatic weapon, they likely would have gotten away with it. But using a fully automatic weapon, it was easier to trace. And then they found this entire network of militias operating throughout the United States. It was really significant back then, enough to get on the cover of Newsweek you know, magazine about yeah. American militias. Yeah, I remember that Fast incident. Forward. Yeah, fast forward to the election of Donald Trump. Now, if it sounds like I'm going to get political here, it's because I am. Uh, I'm currently writing a new book 
about the, it's not even a militia movement anymore. It's an upcoming insurgency, which will involve arms from militias, groups that view themselves as paramilitary, right-wing extremists. Uh, and they have a very solid political, social, and economic base of support from the people that think, you know, Donald Trump is what many refer to him as in the right-wing extremist world, uh, the G-E-O-T-U-S, not the president of the United States, but the, and I'm not joking, they actually use this, the God Emperor of the United States. And they view the United States, uh, these people do not believe the United States is made up of what is written around the ring of the Capitol under the statue of Columbia, which are the words e pluribus unum from many one. They believe that the United States is a nation that is and will and always will be dominated by one tribe. And that is the white male rural tribe. And Donald Trump in their estimation is their tribal leader. And so in defense of that, over the last four years, we've seen an explosion of militia groups uh, all throughout the United States. Uh, granted, some of this stuff started when uh, the Newtown massacre occurred and everyone thought they were coming to take your guns the next week. Uh, I'm a competitive uh, long range uh, precision weapon rifle shooter. Uh, believe me, I was there when the big ammunition price explosion happened. Um, and then nothing happened. Uh, nothing happened with Barack Obama. But after right. Donald Trump was elected, it was sort of seen that Donald Trump was going to make things way better. And that now that they had political support in the United States, many right-wing extremists saw the government as an adjunct of their beliefs. And this isn't, again, this isn't just malicious. Now we have a new category of combatant on the battlefield, not just these guys who are out there pretending that they're, you know, SEAL Team 6 out there, uh, you know, they, um, and there are a lot of them. You can, you can just Google militias right now, 2020, and you'll have 20 news reports of journalists that went on patrol with the militias. The BBC did a really famous one out in Michigan. Now we have armed, armed semi-terrorist paramilitaries. And these are groups which are just this close to being underground terrorist groups, but they like their above ground status. And there are two distinct groups in that category. First is the Proud Boys. The Proud Boys is a hardcore, miso proudly misogynistic, proudly white supremacist, proudly anti-democratic, uh, pro-fascist group that views themselves as the brown shirts. They view themselves as the armed fist of the uh, extremist Trump campaign. That's what they view themselves as. Defenders of the white race. They have got a lot of neo-Nazis in that group now. In fact, people always try to bring up to me, hey, the leader of the Proud Boys is Hispanic. Well, actually, the actual leader of the Proud Boys has been detached from most of the organization when uh, a few months ago, there was sort of a coup where they said, we will not allow anyone of non-white pure blood into the Proud Boys. In fact, they've actually dis uh, 
have sort of distanced themselves from the women's branch of the Proud Boys because they think women should be home. I'm not joking. He actually said this in his manifesto at home in the kitchen, making me a sandwich. So even women who support this group have to take a subordinate role to this misogynistic mind, uh, neo-Nazi mindset that they have inside there. Uh, some of the other groups are the Boogaloo Boys. The Boogaloo are a sort of off branch of the militia movement who believe in the philosophy of white extremist chaos. And they see themselves as, you know, these are the guys who use the Pepe the Frog meme of the orange frog, I'm uh, sorry, the green frog, uh, right. always armed. And they dress themselves in Hawaiian shirts, uh, you know, uh, where they think they are going to be the, the foot soldiers and the shock troops with the Proud Boys of a coming white civil war in America. Same philosophy Timothy McVeigh blew up the Murrah building in Oklahoma City in that the United States, after a defining terrorist attack, all the whites in the country would get together, throw out everything they've ever learned or cared about with the United States, and start mass murdering everyone who was not white. Uh, the Boogaloo sees themselves as sort of these anarchist foot soldiers armed with M4 rifles. There are other groups, the three percenters, who sort of fall just below that. Uh, you know, this was a group that claimed initially when they asked me to join them, about 10 years ago that they wanted military and former law enforcement to swear they would never support using US military personnel in the United States. That was their initial philosophy. Now their philosophy is they want the president of the United States to use military force to take over power, to arrest all the liberals and carry out what QAnon calls the great storm where they will just cleanse the nation of all us reprobates. That includes everybody on this phone call, uh, on this Zoomcast. So that's, the, that's the, 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 the foot soldiers of this organization. This is what the FBI is monitoring. And let me tell you something, it hasn't been easy because the president fired several people whose job it was to monitor far right wing extremism in the belief that there's no way that a white American male like Timothy McVeigh would ever carry out an act of terrorism, even though he had carried out the largest act of terrorism on American soil, um, you know, and attacked a federal building, uh, you know, prior to 9-11. So it is a risk. Uh, we don't know how these people are going to act. There's supposed to be a giant demonstration tomorrow, not just in D.C., but all over the country. And these people believe they own the government and that they will not give up this government to Joe Biden. So the next you know, 15 days could be quite dynamic. Wow, uh, Malcolm, uh, we're getting our money's worth here today and we've got uh, quite a few questions uh, to get through and we're, we're almost okay. running the clock out here. Uh, Carol is uh, worried now. Um, she probably will have trouble sleeping tonight after hearing this. She's uh, concerned that uh, this all sounds pretty apocalyptic and what can we do to even counter uh, these movements? Is, is the government, uh, are, are law enforcement ready for this, uh, this threat? And, and there's also concerns that, that some of these uh, individuals are in, uh, infiltrating law enforcement. Yeah, well, it's not so much that they're infiltrating law enforcement. They don't have to. There's plenty of law enforcement in this country that believe what they believe. 
that that follow these ideologies that sign on to the three percent movement. Uh, there was the famous case of the um, the uh, Miami SWAT officer who was armed and taking pictures with Mike Pence wearing a QAnon patch, which means that he believed that you know, the government is formed of child molesters, you know, yeah. drinking the blood of children. So, and, we, and we have General Flynn uh, taking the oath with his family. Yeah, and General Michael Flynn now is the de facto leader of QAnon uh, because, you know, this whole, you know, organization swearing this oath of office, you know, oath to the Constitution is now a QAnon meme uh, in a, a way to swear your loyalty, not just to Michael Flynn, who they feel has been, you know, treated, mis, you know, mistreated and treated horribly. But now they believe he's the guy. They, they and some people believe he's Q, which is funny because the Q clearance is like the lowest clearance he would have had, right? right. <laughs> Defense Intelligence Agency. But look, we're talking about people who are mentally dysfunctional. Uh, I just had a call from Germany the other day. Uh, a friend of this, uh, a friend of mine, uh, went to Strasbourg, met a woman in one of her spiritual reading groups, her Bible study group, was spouting QAnon conspiracy theory and was sending her things about Sidney Powell showing the election was rigged. This is a French woman speaking to a German woman on a Christian religious forum, bringing QAnon conspiracy into it. It is moving fast because it can, you can throw anything into that, whether it's the belief that lizard people actually run the United States. There's a very entertaining CSI Las Vegas about that, if you would like to get more detail about that. Uh, but there are people who have brought in anti-vaxxing into this. Everything is now part of the conspiracy that the Jews and the liberals and Hillary Clinton and Barack Obama and everyone who's on this podcast, because you're part of the World Affairs Council. And that means you are a globalist because you believe we should have good relations with the rest of the world. Q has something to say about that too. So um, it, it, it's very disturbing because it's disturbing. And what can we do about it? Well, right now, this isn't 1860, okay? West Point is not splitting with everyone abandoning it and joining a foreign army, all right? Uh, what we have here is a mental illness, a sort of a cult illness that is sweeping across the United States. And, you know, shy of a, of a unifying national event from a foreign threat, right? Like uh, a much larger than 9-11 size attack occurring or an actual biological weapon being released that is far more virulent and instantaneously killing like a nerve agent or a biological uh, agent being released in the United States by a terrorist group that comes on video and laughs. We have a problem that disinformation has harnessed to the point so has, has harnessed a, and created a, a bubble of, of an alternate universe that 44% of this country will not believe a word that they can objectively count, things they can see with their own eyes because they have been told by their tribal leader, Donald Trump, not to believe anything that they see or hear unless he says it. And that is marching orders. And now we have a political party which is melting down from that, from this. 
And trust me, I used to be a Republican. Uh, this is, I'm up, I'm right up there with Colin Powell. I'm considered far left now, you know, because I stand for the Constitution and I stand for Americans, you know, values as it stood for 244 years. There is a faction of this country that believes burning it to the ground and that fascism, as espoused by, you know, that soft fascism from Russia, is, in fact, the way America should be re-engineered. And if that means getting rid of democracy to do it, like throwing out the votes of 80 million people, which they think is going to happen tomorrow, well, they're more than willing to fight for it. Well, Malcolm, we, we've uh, come up uh, to the, uh, the close of our show here, and we're only halfway through our agenda, but we are the World Affairs Council. And uh, to, to justify my, uh, my time on the air here, let's, let's talk uh, for maybe five minutes about the international terrorist threat. Oh, and, uh, and, and we will uh, invite you back to uh, talk more about the, uh, the big hack and, and get back into, there's, there's more questions here about QAnon and, and uh, you, know, you, you already have uh, 50 people lined up to buy your book and it's uh, not even published yet. But uh, uh, let's just jump in a little bit. Uh, the international uh, terrorist threat has not gone away. It's, uh, it's flourishing in some places, um, Western Africa, the Sahel, uh, mm -hmm. uh, other parts of the Middle East. Uh, it's, you know, never ending. ISIS is coming back. So uh, right. give us the, the five minute, uh, what should we know about international terrorism? Well, you know, first off, international terrorism hasn't gone away. It's just reduced itself back down to small regional threats. Um, you know, the, the incidents occur almost every day, but due to the craziness we have in our own country, we don't hear about them anymore. Uh, there have been incidents that have occurred in France. There was a, a significant knifing of, of a French professor in Paris. Behead, we, beheading in a church, wasn't it? Right, that's absolutely right. That um, is starting to spawn copycats around France. Uh, you know, the French uh, involvement in North Africa and the war against ISIS and Al-Qaeda. Al-Qaeda is still viable in North Africa, uh, in parts of uh, Pakistan and, you know, uh, part, you know uh, other parts of the Middle East, uh, Yemen. Uh, but the French just took their first losses of two soldiers in, uh, in, a, in a bombing, which killed the first French uh, female soldier. That occurred three days ago in Mali. Uh, by an IED that has been attributed, you know, that has now been claimed by Al-Qaeda. Uh, interestingly enough, to show the internationalist flavor of the French force, this young woman was of Viet French Vietnamese extraction. She was Vietnamese, French citizen, uh, born in Paris, uh, or born in France, serving in Mali in a United Nations role and killed by an IED by, you know, Arab jihadists. So, you know, this threat has not gone away. We still have many missions that are occurring. Uh, the problem that we have now is that these withdrawals, which hopefully will stop uh, in the next two weeks from Afghanistan, from Iraq, uh, support for operations in, in Somalia, which is interesting. The, uh, I don't know if you know it, but the United States is abandoning Somalia. Uh, we've had some of our greatest counterterrorism successes there. They're great because you didn't hear about them, but they right, exactly. damaged Somali milit militant groups, uh, including one plot, which we just exposed, 
where a Somali national had gone to the Philippines to learn to fly jets, right? Multi-engine airliners, claiming he was going to be flying for Somali airlines. He was actually a member of the Al-Shabaab terrorist group, and his job was to learn how to get control of an aircraft, fly it to the United States, and crash it into a city. So that, that, that indictment just happened three weeks ago. So the world of international terrorism is, is still vibrant. It's still dynamic. They still want to do spectacular attacks. But again, it's been reduced down to small areas, ISIS in Western, Pakistan, uh, Western Afghanistan, I'm sorry, Eastern Afghanistan, Western Pakistan, ISIS in small parts of North Africa, um, uh, you know, and, and supporting other, other places, Egypt, ISIS is still rampant in Egypt, and they're reviving back in Syria because we're withdrawing all of our forces in Syria. So uh, it, it will be very interesting, uh, certainly once, um, if General Austin is confirmed as Secretary of Defense, you will see a more traditional hard line against international terrorists not abandoning our allies' strategy. Uh, and, you know, as I like to say, you know, people out there uh, in, in, in the right-wing extremist world call us internationalists and globalists, like it's a dirty word. We invented globalism when we landed on Normandy and Guadalcanal, right? <laughs> we projected our national power and brought along with it the entirety of global trade for 70 years. So if you don't want to be supportive of a globalist, then you really don't need to buy anything from Walmart because everything from there is from China. And everybody likes cheap stuff from Walmart. Okay. Well, Malcolm, you have given us uh, more than enough to consider as we uh, uh, look at the world in 2021. Uh, it's, it's a challenging place overseas uh, as much as ever. And uh, we're now seeing the domestic uh, environment heating up in ways that nobody could have ever have imagined. Uh, so thank you so much. Uh, I hope you'll accept our invitation to come back and, yes. and talk with us uh, some more. Uh, you have great friends here in uh, Nashville and I only regret that when you were here for Politicon uh, back in 2019, we didn't get to go take you out for hot chicken and cold beer. <laughs> well, we'll do that again in, in the future. I would love to come to Nashville. I have a personal reason to come to Nashville. And, uh, you know, I, I, I just, God bless all of you. I'm glad that you are all well. Uh, you know, certainly you, Pat, and your wife, and in good health. And, uh, you know, Nashville's strong. It'll bounce back. Great. Malcolm, thanks so much. And thanks to our audience for joining us today. Again, the uh, Tennessee World Affairs Council is a nonpartisan nonprofit organization. You can visit tnwac.org to uh, make a gift. Uh, to keep us going and uh, also consider becoming a member. Uh, Malcolm, on behalf of the uh, World Affairs Council, again, thanks and uh, have a blessed uh, new year and we'll talk to you soon. Okay, take care, shipmate.